Sunny, again, another addict of mind-altering substances, including alcohol. I have 30 years of drinking every day. I'm a regulation alcoholic, even though I didn't think I was. One place where I'm hoping that AA grows a little bit more is to just start recognizing the fact that uh, my disease is addiction. It's a, a disease I've had my entire life. It's incurable. But I'm also, I, there's flexibility in what substance I'll use to get high with. And uh, that's something which just AA, I'm glad it's starting to uh, permit that. But even, you know, some of the old scripts, like the one I read on the, the Sunday night step study says, if you're not an alcoholic, please just listen. But heck, even in one of the meetings, where the person reads that, it was actually, he was a heroin addict when he first got into recovery, you know, but hoping that, you know, AA recognizes that, and that's good about that. Besides which, my drunkalog is real boring. I was a very functional alcoholic. My drugalog at least has a little bit more pizzazz to it. And, uh, any case, myself, as a kid, um, I would try stuff. In elementary school, I bought a pack of cigarettes. I had 50 cent two quarters. I got a pack. I didn't, I actually was cutting elementary school, tried them. I didn't like them, but you know, it was, I wanted to try different things. Later, even, I was uh, in New York. I grew up in New York City, and the drinking age there was 18. I bought, uh, I went to the grocery store, bought a six pack of Rheingold. I drank about three or four cans of it, and I threw it out. I said, Boy, why do people drink this stuff? I didn't, <laughs> the alcohol was not doing for me what, <laughs> what I'd hoped. Any case, though, I got, I had a good job as in high school. I had a good job in Manhattan working as a messenger. And I had access to one of the other high school kids that worked there was uh, in this from the South Bronx. All of a sudden I had access to quality nickel bags of pot. And uh, this was, and uh, it was uh, again, a nickel bag, five bucks, I had a good job. And that uh, became my drug of choice in high school. And uh, every night, my parents were divorced. My mom was out half the time. And uh, it was easy to find places to party. And that was, uh, I, got, I also, because I had access to quality stuff, I got a reputation in my neighborhood and people would bring folks over to try to my house or to the place I was at to try pot. And that's how I met my high school girlfriend. She wanted to try pot. Somebody brought her over and I was, uh, it was, uh, it, it made my social life. You know, I know we're supposed to, when you do drugs, supposed to have, no. I would get invited also to parties on the other side of town, other 
pot parties there. And, you know, my, my host high school years might've been the most fun part of the most fun of my life. <laughs> Interestingly, I had no responsibility. I got high every day and, uh, any case, I brought my uh, interest in drugs to college, graduated to LSD, and after about 90 trips, it got boring. So I tried, got into heroin. Fortunately for me, and I'm really grateful about this, the quality of the heroin I had access to, the best quality at that time was 7%. And where I was going to college, upstate New York, I wasn't getting that quality. But it was still good enough. So when I took it, I didn't care about anything. And I, I always, I thought the heroin high is kind of like the Temptations song. Um, Cloud nine, where you don't care about anything, no responsibility. That was what my view of the heroin high. As I said, fortunately, the quality was low. When I ran out of money, my withdrawal was more like a flu for a couple of days. And that was the end of uh, that habit. Ended up dropping out of college, even though I was already, I had, I was in my sophomore year. I learned to take no-show courses. I learned how to play the game and uh, didn't get, to, I was only on probation one semester. I didn't learn anything there except but I partied an awful lot. Any case, finally, I, when I left New York, a friend wanted to go hitchhike around the country. I went with him and that was the end of my access to quality drugs and alcohol became my drug of choice since it was readily available. But uh, any case, I ended up in Denver and I was looking for work. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't have any connections and uh, didn't have a lot going for me. I did, uh, I got into an apprenticeship program. I started hanging out with a couple of guys who I thought could give me access to drugs and other fun things. And within a year, I found myself sitting in jail, Adam County Jail for a week on a felony burglary charge. And at that point, I, I'm really appreciative of this. I didn't tell my parents about it. One of the guys I worked with in the apprenticeship program actually thought I was a decent guy and put up his house for bail. This is a guy from Wisconsin. I guess he thought I was an Easterner coming from New York. He liked that. And I also realized, you know, I got a choice now in my life. I could look forward to doing what I was doing and going to prison or start hanging out with new people and start, get, start taking responsibility and getting goals. I had a great probation. I followed it strictly because I did not want to see the inside of a jail again. And as it turned out, I didn't. The guy who bailed me out became my mentor taught me to start taking responsibility, following through with things I, I'm supposed to do, like the apprenticeship program, school. And uh, I also became, began about seven years of being clean and sober. 
it worked really well in a lot of ways. I I took up with new people, all goal oriented people, and uh, left behind those who were just looking for quick fun, and uh, ended up getting some. Got a couple of degrees. It was real. I was fairly successful, but I never. Unfortunately, they didn't send me to a 12 point program. They sent me to therapy. I had, you know, I had a lot of help. And again, it taught me responsibility, but I didn't deal with my addiction. Anyway, in the eighth year, I went to another graduate school and the partner in the lab was a chem grad student. And he was making crystal meth and bingo. My addiction took over, and uh, fortunately, it was high-quality stuff. The withdrawal didn't involve the problems of today's meth, the ones that are, you know, it was just sleep a lot, eat a lot. And uh, when I ran out, I wasn't craving it. But uh, I did... I was addicted to it for, I was certainly using it habitually every day and uh, used it for a while. Any case, I started moving on to out when I ran out of, when he moved away to become professional, I went back to alcohol as the easiest way to get high every day. And uh, I became a functional alcoholic. I had a drink every day. I wasn't, I didn't drink in the morning and uh, I didn't drink at work, but I looked forward to it every day. It was almost, you know, like almost a highlight of the day, being able to get, get a good drink. And ultimately, I did because I had some degrees, I did get a decent job. I had failed in in grad school there. I failed the last time because I made poor decisions. I didn't have the wisdom of the 12 steps to consult anybody. I had uh, somebody on my committee who didn't like me and I accepted the, the failure there and began high school teaching. Fortunate, you know, again, I was able to do that even with my felony. I was able to get credentials and started doing that. And with that, you know, I did want, there was some service in there, you know, and again, I, did, I didn't want to fuck around on the job there. You know, I saved my getting high until I got home. And it wasn't bad. I had failures places where I should have made better decisions. I had opportunities I passed by because of my addiction and that attitude of my ego is my source, my source of all my decisions. Anyway, and there were some good places there. When I, in high school, I started coaching, it's a program called Student Run LA, Training Kids for the Marathon. And doing that, I recognized the fact I had to get in shape. I also had to set an example for the kids. 
And all of a sudden, my alcohol was limited to about a half a bottle a night. You know, I had to cut down on my drinking because we had to do races, 5K, 10K, work our way up to the marathon. And also, when I was doing the coaching, I was thinking about something besides myself and my own pleasures, you know, and uh, it helped. In fact, when I, I got, I needed hernia surgery at that time when I was coaching. And instead of worrying about getting a refill for the painkiller, I was more concerned about when I could start running again and training, you know, which was very rare for, for my psyche. That's something almost unheard of. Any case, continued like that. And uh, so I wasn't a complete fuck up on the job. I did, I did good things, but time went on. Ultimately, I got removed as a marathon, a new principal, wanted someone else as a marathon coach. And I got more stressed. But uh, I did do some coaching, at least for the science bowl. And again, when I did coaching, it got my mind off of me and my needs. And that was also a good place. But that ended. And I started adding, my doctor gave me, uh, prescribed some tranquilizers for me. And ultimately I started adding pills to the alcohol. So I'm guaranteed to get to sleep when I want. And uh, that's how it stayed until I hit my retirement. And then I got, I guess I wanted stronger pills and I ended up with a nice, a, a low, Weak opiate, tramadol, weak opiate that I could buy over the counter in Mexico. And lo and behold, within a year, I had a habit and the withdrawal was actually the worst depression of my life. The third day without it, I had a choice of driving down to TJ to get more or calling my doc. I called my doc. I confessed <laughs> I had a habit. And I've been lying to him about how much I drank, other drugs I used. I had a therapist I was lying to also, you know, but any case, I did uh, all of a sudden I was identified as an addict there officially. I was prescribed, uh, what's it called? Uh, I was given something to get off of the pills and I got high on it. Uh, and, uh, I still was an addict. My wife, though, decided I needed rehab. So she got me signed up for a place up in Lake Arrowhead called Serenity Lodge. I was pissed off when I was sent there. I said, man, you, what, you just want to get rid of me. That's all you're doing. But once I got up there, it was all, it's also, it wasn't co-ed. It was all, the clients were all male. You know, there were female counselors, but uh, they had, the women would be at a different time. And it actually treated us with respect. We all had our own room. And because I was older, I got my own bathroom. And I was, you know, ultimately though, I opened my eyes there when I was in the, uh, when I, for the withdrawal part, and I saw, recognized the fact I belonged there. Everybody else there was an addict. There were addicts, there were speed freaks, heroin addicts, and alcoholics. One guy 
in his 30s, almost died from pancreatitis. That's how heavy duty his alcoholism was. So, but I, I saw I belong there. Also, you know, I recognize that I saw the 12 steps. Step one, yes, I have an incurable disease. I can't, I'm up, I can't manage my life. Otherwise, I won't be up here. And I accepted the program. After I accepted step one, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to learn the recovery. I'm going to do whatever they say. I, the next, you know, the next, in the morning, we started off with the serenity prayer. I said it the first time I ever said a prayer in English. And I never believed in God my entire life. And I still don't, you know, it's not, I've been a non-believer, but it didn't bother me. I also recognize the fact that up there in, in rehab, 90% of the people were believers. Okay, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to proselytize with them. You know, I'll go along with it. I'll just, I'll say the prayers the proper way. I'll, they got me to start to say the St. Francis. They had that up on the wall. Actually, I read that one myself. I said, damn, that's so positive. And I recognize the fact too in rehab, how negative all my attitudes were. I was great as a critic, you know. But the negative stuff I had, I did, even, you know, talking about music, I didn't like some music, I'd say, I'm, I didn't recognize the fact, if I say that music sucks, I might be insulting someone. This is what I learned in rehab, that my natural personality, the negative, and my brain's judgment is going to be negative, negative, negative. And I got to put a lid on that. I've got to learn to be positive. If I want to be different, I want to have a better life. So that was my goal in rehab. Read the big book, did the exercises. We went through the steps there. Had a heavy duty step five, which a few of you heard about. But uh, any case, when I got released from rehab, I felt very comfortable in AA. I felt welcome there, and uh, I hunted around a bit, but uh, I didn't uh, have any. I didn't have any problems. I didn't feel I wasn't bothered by it. Fortunately, the meetings I went to were all they ended with the Serenity Prayer. If they ended with the Lord's Prayer, I might have had some issues with that because that's not that's not in. The, the big book, it's not in the 12 and 12. That one is strictly a Christian prayer that doesn't belong in an AA meeting unless it's a Christian AA meeting, which I didn't want to go to. Any case, I recognize in, in early recovery, I recognize the fact that when I miss a meeting, I have problems. I start getting anxious. I start getting contentious about things. And I saw, even when traveling, I got to go to a meeting every day. It was in Mexico. And in Guadalajara, I went to the drugstore, my wife wanted antibiotics, I saw the drug that I got the tramadol right there on the under the on the counter, I saw a great price for it. I started thinking, hey, I could get 
I could get a big bottle there for the money I have in my pocket, take it home. This is what I'm thinking about in the afternoon. But that evening, went to a meeting, that killed it. I said, no. <laughs> and I recognized I need these meetings every day. When we went to a wedding, missed a meeting that day, ended up in a big fight with my wife. She was disgusted with me, you know, because everybody was getting drunk. And I said, I wanted to go back to the place. I, I didn't want to, but I didn't, I did it in an inappropriate way. And the next morning, I drove over an hour to get to an English AA meeting <laughs> to get me straightened out. You know, I, I learned it. It's, I need those meetings. Any case, advancing there though, you know, I was, and one more, I got, I got a sponsor. The sponsor wasn't an atheist, but at least, you know, the sponsor was Jewish and uh, was involved, was a heavy user of Coke. So didn't mind the fact that I was involved with other substances besides alcohol. And one thing, another reason why I need the meetings back in that third month, I got a, I was sent to, I was sent to IEP. Fine. Insurance pays for it. Fine. I get an $8,000 bill. And uh, apparently I was supposed to pay almost a thousand a day for the service I was getting plus the insurance. And fortunately, instead of going out and getting high, I went to an AA meeting and I recognized, you know, I'm, I'll work on that bill. I quit the I, you know, the IEP right away, but uh, IOP right away, but at least that didn't taunt me anymore. And the meeting gave me the right attitude. And I was going to meetings until when COVID hit and they started shutting them down. Last day, I was at a meeting. Then I discovered Zoom. And with Zoom, when I looked at the listing, I discovered secular meetings. And when I started going there, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mind. The I, still, I still attend traditional meetings. They don't bother me, you know, because as long as nobody's preaching to me and they accept the fact that I'm non-believer. But uh, the secular meetings have been blew me away. I, had, I found myself going to 14 and 18 meetings a week. You know, yes, it's on Zoom. It's not too hard. Even today, this is the fourth meeting I'm attending. But I saw some people at the meetings, some of the meetings I was at. So <laughs> you're in the same boat too. But the meetings are great. The high, my higher power is other people. Because even in rehab, Step two, something stronger than yourself. A team, any team is stronger than the individual. Even if the team is only two, it's stronger than one. And right now I feel like my team, my recovery team is all of AA. And uh, that's big. And why? Because I attend the meeting, it reminds me of the disease I have that's incurable, I'll have it till I die. But other people suffer the same affliction 
And there are people that have been dealing with it for years that have some excellent advice and excellent things to share, plus even new people sometimes have shares with lots of wisdom. So if I stay awake, if I go to the meetings and pay attention, I'm going to learn something. I'm not thinking about myself, and I'm going to learn something that's going to help me lead a better life in sobriety. Thank you for, I don't, oh boy, that was 20 minutes. I'm sorry for so long.